I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians. We are continuing in a sermon series that is simply called, The Bible Doesn't Say That. And what we're looking at, we're looking at popular terms in our culture and, and that have, have become regular sayings of ours, thank you, that people actually look at and they say and we assume that it comes from the Bible because it sounds very, very biblical. But everything that we're talking about in this five-week series is, it's not in the Bible. You're not going to find it. There are a few phrases that, that people will use, let's say they're biblical. What about um, bad things happen to who? It's not in the Bible. It's not there. Oh, I've, I've heard this one. When you die, God gains another angel, right? We hear that at times. No. Um, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? There's just so many different... Uh, uh, there's, there's so many different phrases that we use in our modern day culture that <clears throat> people say, oh, well, this, this is biblical. This is, a, oh, this is a proverb. So it must be. And we're going to focus on one particular this morning. It's a, a secular quote, that, quote that's constantly being attributed to the Bible and it's simply not there. It's a quote that I believe honestly does more harm than good. It's a quote that encourages people to lead themselves through whatever life gives them. It's a quote that, that helps many people rely on themselves in their time of tribulations, but as Christians, we should absolutely know better. It's a quote that the world uses to try and say that we are strong, to say that we are empowered, that we are unstoppable, that there is nothing that's going to get in our way. There's an amazing amount of things that the Bible does say, but one of the many points in our culture that the Bible does not say is this. Listen to this. Have you ever heard this? God won't give you more than what? God won't give you more than you can handle. Guess what? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. So for those of you really quick who see me walk behind the screen, it's not like the Wizard of Oz thing or anything back there. I promise you it's not. That's just where we happen to keep our, our soundboard. Yeah, I'm not going back there with big controls and there's smoke coming out. It's, um, so someday we will get our soundboard back there, but when I, when I hear humming and I'll come back here to adjust things. So when you ever see anyone walk behind the curtain, uh, they're, they're not Wizard of Oz and we're not voting. Uh, that's, that's all we're doing is, is making an adjustment. Yeah, sometimes it's like, okay, you know what? I really don't know what to do. Hold on a second. Just hold on. Got it. Got it. Um, we, we, uh, we do, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to back up here just a little bit. There is a spot in the Bible that this that this is attributed to. And so I want you to stay in 2 Corinthians, but I'm going to read you from 1 Corinthians. Stay right there where you're at. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, it reads like this out of the NLV. It says, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life 
are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So somehow we've taken this verse and with this with, with our, our cultural self-help and even the self-help inside the church, we've twisted this to where it has become one of the most misquoted verses in our culture. People say it all the time. Oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. I found it in the Bible. No, you, you didn't. See, it sounds pretty much the same, but... It's far from the same. When you take the word temptation out, it entirely changes the message of that particular verse. The, the, the focus of the verse changes. But the world likes to say that God will not allow more than you can handle. And, it, and what the world does is it takes temptation out and it puts a blank in there. And it says... God won't give you more than you can handle. Fill in the blank and put whatever you want in here. It says you're in financial trouble. God won't give you more than you can handle. The verse said temptation, right? That's what, it's, that's what the, the focus is. Now, temptation can have expanded meanings to it. And we can dive into that. But that's not what the original intent was. We start to think that the verse is telling us that we personally have the strength to endure anything that comes our way. Some of us in a well-meaning way, we may have been sitting across the table from a friend, maybe enjoying a latte and listening to problems. And we do. We just say, you know what? I understand. Maybe we put our hands on her shoulder and say, you know what? God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't do that. But in that, in that verse, who's the subject? Who is handling? Who has the strength? God won't give you more than who can handle? Yeah. So it's saying, you have the strength to do this. I don't know that, if that, that that's exactly what God is saying. I don't think that's what God is, is telling us. Some people are, are struggling with medical procedures and some are, are struggling with financial insecurity and, and, and others might be dealing with, with maybe a teenager just gone astray and children that they just can't manage at times. And we say, you know, it almost seems like an, like an easy out, right? You know what? Hang in there. God won't give you more than you can handle. He won't. It's not what the Bible says. What does it provide other than this misguided worldly comfort that says we can do it on our own? Isn't that misguided? Doesn't it provide, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to make it through this. <clears throat> or that, you know what, this is a normal part of life that we're all meant to endure. There's actually a secondary danger in this saying deeply believing that God won't give you more than you can handle, it can make people worry because God has apparently given them a greater capacity from, for suffering than they currently are experiencing. That they're going to see things that are going to get even worse than they currently are. Maybe that 
they shouldn't feel as troubled as they do because they have this built-in strength that they haven't even found yet. What about the people that we know in our lives who are living through massive and severe issues? What about, what about a person who just lost a child? What about the woman who, who has three kids and just came home from her second job and found out that her husband has packed his bags and left? The world, by manipulating this verse and changing its meaning, is telling us that, that they by themselves have the power and the strength to get through it. It's saying that you can do this, you got this. I'll be honest with you. Would it be fair to say that sometimes we're simply not strong enough on our own? That by our own human condition, by our, our Everything that, that we have, which is so limited compared to the resources that God provides, that everything we have is not enough. Sometimes we don't know how to get through the suffering in our lives. Some people will fall into a depression so deep that they will look at a bridge and they will see it as the only way to make the pain stop. See, it's terribly unbiblical to say that God won't give you more than you can handle. God very well might give you more than you can handle, but God will never give you more than he can handle. He won't. He's not going to give you any more than he can handle. Where's the strength? The strength is with God, right? I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Second book of Corinthians, Second Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter number one in verses three through 11 in a message that I've titled, I Can't Do It Without Jesus. I want to give you a little bit of a background on this book, just a, just a, a brief background that will kind of put this in perspective as to what Paul was dealing with at the time when he had written this, when he had written this letter. The book of Second Corinthians is actually the fourth letter to the church in the city of Corinth. There were four letters that Paul had written. We're missing two of them. Corinth is a port city. It's a, a city that actually has ports on both sides. Ships would come in from the Aegean Sea. They would, they would dock and then people on shore would take cargo from the ships. They would walk it about a mile to the ports on the other side of town. There were ships there that would finish the journey. And so Corinth is a very transient city. There are many people who come to town who leave town. It's almost a, a Vegas type of place because you're never home, there's no one looking, there's a lot of workers there, and you don't stay very long. So if you can imagine, Corinth is a town that is very corrupt. There's prostitution that runs rampant in the city of Corinth. Crime is up. There's no morals or, or, or values that people cling to as a society in Corinth. And Paul has stopped on his second missionary journey and he spent months there in Corinth. And, he, and he's working with a Christian church in Corinth. And then eventually Paul leaves and he continues to keep in contact with this 
church that is trying to survive in this land of immorality. It's trying to survive in a very sick society. Over the next few years in Paul's ministry, he travels throughout the land and he always has this deep heart for this church in Corinth. And, and at one point he writes a letter to them that's referred to as the severe letter. He's getting on to them. He's letting them know you guys are struggling in your faith. You guys are, are out of bounds. You guys are not exactly where you need to be. You need to come back to God. And, and then he gets to a point to where he cares so much about them that he actually is going to send somebody with a letter to the city of Corinth so that he can help breathe life back into this church. He sends Titus to Corinth. And after a while, Paul is so excited to hear a report from Titus that many Christians in the church have repented and they've come back and they're, and they're cleaning up their ways and they're getting back in line with Christ. But wise enough, Paul realizes that even though the church is healing, that chances are there are still some smoldering embers inside the church, that there's still some, some people in the church who are, who are probably clinging on to the society around them and bringing it into the church. So Paul writes another letter to the church, and it's this letter that we refer to as 2 Corinthians. In the introduction of this book, Paul writes... And he starts discussing the suffering that he himself has gone through during his missionary journeys. And Paul tells them that he's been suffering for the gospel. And he says, I know that you're suffering for the gospel also. You're a church in one of the most corrupt cities. And, and it's not easy to manage and to live and to thrive and to come back to Christ. And to, to walk the Christian path in a city that absolutely does not want you there. Paul had been doing a lot of suffering in his own ministry. It's so severe that he tells us in, in, in these verses that we're going to read, Paul's suffering is so severe that he is actually expecting to draw his last breath very soon. He is actually under what he would define as his own death sentence. He sees that death is at his door. He is accepting that. He knows that his time is almost done. Humanly, he knows that. He knew and he thought he was about to die. We know that there was a thorn in his flesh. We've read about that. And he asked God to take it away three times and God said no. We know that he was beaten and he was left for dead during his journeys. And, and, and after it happened one time, God allows it to happen another time. He is physically destroyed just tore up on this missionary journey that he's been going on. We know that Paul had been thrown in jail on numerous occasions. And contrary to popular belief, jails back in those days really weren't, they weren't awesome. It's not like you hang around the day room watching Judge Judy all afternoon, you know. The food isn't great. He's thrown in jail and he doesn't have great medical care. He's left to rot. Paul faced something that was beyond human survival, that was so discouraging to him that his ministry is threatened. Then Paul says something in Asia happened to him. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, you know what happened to me in Asia? We don't. They did. 
But whatever it was, Paul is, is understanding that they know my troubles and they know that the suffering that I have gone through is so severe that I, I don't expect to make it through this. We're going to pick up the story in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're in verse number 3. Paul writes, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when, when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. When we are confident that as you share in our sufferings, or rather, we are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. See that again. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. I would ask you, where in this passage of Scripture does it say anything close to God won't give you more than you can handle. Or does it say anything close to that? This passage shows us that Paul was burdened <clears throat> beyond his strength, beyond his ability to endure. To be burdened beyond one's strength is to have more than you can handle. God through Paul is saying people can experience more suffering than they can handle. Sometimes we can. As a matter of fact, according to Paul, God gave the apostle more than he could handle humanly. But Paul also reminds us that in these moments, God has a gift for us. Point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us, you'll see in your bulletin on the left-hand side, there's some fill-in-the-blanks right there. We're a note-taking church. So if you want to take notes, you can take your notes home. Point number one in your notes this morning. God provides comfort in our times of weakness. God provides comfort in our times of weakness. The Greek word that Paul uses here is the word paraklesis. It's, it, it occurs ten times in 2 Corinthians. It's where we get a word we might more be familiar with, the word paraclete. It refers to one who comes alongside to help. Comfort often brings to mind the idea of softness, right? Of maybe of ease. But that's not, that's not fully the meaning of it here. 
in, in this particular usage. Paul is saying that God came to him in the middle of his suffering and in troubles to strengthen him, to give him courage and boldness. That's also comfort, right? Comfort sometimes can strengthen us. If you are in bed, if, if you cannot, if, if you've got a health issue and somebody is coming to take care of you and bring you comfort and softness, somebody fluffing your pillow is bringing you softness, but somebody bringing you chicken soup is help bringing you strength, right? See, this is something that is so very important to remember. Comfort comes from God, and it is not the end of our troublesome situations. God will bring comfort, and it's a gift, and that's our ability to get through our toughest times. But for that mother who just found out in the media that her son's not coming home because the searchers who've been looking for him for two weeks just found him in a forest, Comfort isn't going to make that problem go away. Comfort isn't going to bring her son back. But comfort will provide a breath. Comfort will provide some strength. It provides a place to rest. And a voice that is full of love. Comfort is not solving the problem, but it is ease. It is softness and it's strength. Paul says God is our merciful Father and is the source of all comfort. It's so important that we remember this point that Paul is telling us there seems to be this this misguided interpretation in our world. Paul says that God is the source of all comfort. How is that different from what our world tells us? Comfort isn't from self. Comfort isn't from family. Comfort isn't from home. Comfort isn't from an amazing meal somewhere. Comfort is only from our merciful Lord and Savior. Bible teacher, by the name of... uh, Katie once told a story, said she was getting out of her car one day and her arms just loaded with books. And she was getting ready to go into her house, but she is a, as a widow now with two young children, just had had a very bad day and was, and was hurting. And as she stared at the grass between her car and her house, her her mind just went back in time to her childhood when she had been running through the grass towards her dad, just terrified and screaming. And, and he had scooped her up in his arms and given her comfort. <clears throat> and she wished, <clears throat> she wished she could go back to being that little girl again. She wished that someone was there to hold her right then. And as she turned to go into the house, she suddenly saw herself in her mind's eye as this little girl in pigtails flying down the vast marble corridor of this large home. Oil paintings on the wall just bigger than life, bigger than anything that she'd ever seen. And and you could hear her little shoes that were making noises on the marble floor as tears are just running down her face. 
And this long corridor that she's running down, at the end it has these two huge golden doors just glistening with sunlight, which is coming through these huge cathedral windows. Either side of these doors, there's these two magnificently dressed guards holding huge scepters and and blocking the entrance to the room beyond and and undeterred this little girl she runs straight for the doors and still crying father she's crying to her dad and she never breaks a stride and 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 she, she gets near the doors the guards break open the doors and fling them open and herald her arrival saying the daughter of the king the daughter of the king And inside, court is in session. The cherubim and the seraphim, they cry, holy, holy, holy. And the elders on their thrones, they're dressed in white, wearing crowns of gold. And they're talking to the king of kings, but no one slows down his daughter. And oblivious to everything else going on around her, she runs past the seven burning lamps of fire and and the steps leading up to the throne and and catapults herself into the arms of the king. and, And now she is home, wrapped in the arms of his everlasting love. And he reaches up and with one finger just wipes her tears. And he smooths out the sticky hair from her face and puts it back into her braids and says, now just tell your father all about it. Kay Arthur walked into her house that day. She left the books on her table and she walked up to her room and next to her bedside. She just got down on her knees and told her father all about it. God brings comfort Jesus is the source of all our comfort. And just as Jesus is our source of comfort, as Christians, we are supposed to be able to provide that same comfort to others. But I'll tell you that as much as we try, sometimes we back into popular lines like, God won't give you more than you can handle. But for us to understand that sometimes people are going through things that they simply cannot handle. We need to remind people that we weren't designed to go through the trials of life alone. That we were designed to walk through them with our creator. Yeah, trials in our lives can be bigger than us, but they're not. They are not bigger than Jesus. Amen? They are not bigger than Jesus. Jesus says in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Like someone has strength. It's not us, right? Point number two in your notes this morning. Suffering is designed to point our eyes towards Jesus. Did you say, Pastor, did, did you just say that suffering was designed? Yeah. It's a consequence. It's a consequence of the fall, right? From the Garden of Eden. We can all blame Adam. 
We can blame Eve. I think there's a debate between who ate first, right? We can just blame them both. It's consequence, right? What happened when Adam and Eve, they took their eyes off of God and they listened to the world? Suffering happened, right? Suffering happened. They were taken out of God's presence. Now, I'm not going to say that every time that your eyes are on Jesus that there's not going to be suffering. That's not what I'm saying. We're told that as Christians, we're going to go through trials and tribulations, right? We're going to live through things. We're going to live through times that are not going to be easy for us to manage. But what are we told to do? Turn our eyes where? To Jesus, right? And the world still says, God won't give you more than you can handle. Good thing that we don't listen to the world for our authority, amen? Good thing that we have, we have a book that does not change, and the Bible does not say that. Paul felt like his affliction was more than he could handle, and he wanted to be open about the experience. All through the, second, the book of Corinthians, Paul makes the point to boast in his, about his weakness and his need to rely on God for strength. In a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians, in, in chapter 4, in verses 8 through 10, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not even driven to despair, persecuted. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Verse number 10, always carrying in the body, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Paul had to make sure that his eyes were kept laser focused on Jesus. I doubt they had lasers in Paul's day, but whatever they used for measuring things, that's exactly where Paul was keeping his eyes exactly on point. He knew that, that suffering demanded his eyes to come back to Christ, and, and he worked hard to drill that point in the churches that he visited, in the churches that he planted. Helen Lamell had a normal childhood, which changed quite drastically in 1875 at the age of 12. She was 12 years old when her family immigrated to the United States and they eventually settled in Wisconsin. She was an artistically gifted child, a great music, uh, musical talent. She was gaining a reputation around the area in those northern states as being a very brilliant singer. Music was her passion. And she would travel throughout the Midwest giving concerts in many different churches and then a tragedy struck that had this life-altering effect. She was diagnosed with an affliction that would eventually lead to her blindness. Her husband, he couldn't deal with it. He just up, up and left, abandoned the marriage, left her to cope with this on her own. And what might have been this, this experience that is so physically draining and, and, and emotionally stunning it turned her completely back to God and into one of the gifts that God had given her, music. She's a name that composed a massive amount of hymns from her experiences in life. And one of, her, one of the hymns that she has written, it goes like this. It says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. 
There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. And she writes this chorus, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's an amazing author with blind eyes who has to turn her heart's eye to Christ because of what she's dealing with. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9-10, through 10, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is Paul talking about this thorn in his flesh that's bothersome, that, that God take it away from me. And God says no, and Paul says, okay, you know what? I'm going to find a way to make this be a beacon for you. Whatever it is that you've given me, I'm going to use it for you. It's easy for Christians to talk themselves into thinking that having weaknesses makes us a bad Christian. Maybe in actuality, recognizing our own weaknesses is an essential part of growing with Christ, right? Being able to recognize that there's areas in our life that, that we need to come closer to him, areas where we are weak, when we are weak, he is what? His strength is always there. He doesn't wait for us to notice our weakness, to have our strength waiting for us. That strength is already there. He provides that strength for us, recognizing that we can't do this alone. It keeps us humble. It keeps us, it keeps us realizing that we need Christ to help us remember to actually keep our eyes on him. He is our answer, but sometimes do we, do we actually pray God, help me keep my eyes on you. We're actually pre-praying that, hey, I need help and I need you and I know I'm going to need you. When we're focused on Jesus and we understand that our suffering is a reminder to refocus our focus as we should, by default, we recognize who can get us through this trial. And I think we also recognize who can't. Point number three in your notes this morning. The strength of a Christian comes from the Lord Almighty. The strength of a Christian comes from the Lord Almighty. It comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus is the Lord of your life and you're trusting him enough to hand over control of everything, you no longer rely on your strength to get through the difficult times because God does the heavy lifting. We know that, that this struggle that we're going through, it's more than we can handle, but it's not more than God can handle. So why are we trying to do it ourselves? Why are we trying to do it on our own? Why are we, why are we trying to, to work ourselves into a pile of just nothingness that can't do anything because our worry is high, because our, our, 
our, our culture looks at us and says, you can do it. You can do everything you put your mind to. You can get through this situation. We know that, yeah, you might have just lost people in your family. Suck it up, buttercup. You can do it. That's what the world's telling us, right? You know what God's telling us? Hey, hey, get back to me. Eyes on me. That's what he's saying, right? He's saying, you know what? Don't worry about the world's distractions. Keep your eyes on me. Most of us could never complete 200 push-ups. I couldn't complete 200 push-ups. Kevin could do 200 push-ups. I know. I couldn't. But let me ask you this. If your chore was to do 200 push-ups, if you were to tell me that I have to do that, I would say that my strength is not enough. But if I were to rely on Dwayne The Rock Johnson, if I was to rely on The Rock, he's the one who I'm relying on to do the push-ups, you know what? I'm not stressed out about it anymore. He does 200 push-ups for breakfast, probably before breakfast. I'm not going to worry about it because you know why? I'm relying on somebody much stronger than I am. I'm relying on somebody who has the power to do this. When I don't have the power to do this, Paul leads by example in boasting in his weakness that our need for God in our trials is so deep, it's so severe, it is so obedient to come to God in our trials, but it's even more obedient that we never even left him in the first place. Amen? People will say, you know, turn your eyes to God, or you need more Jesus. And it kind of reminds us that maybe we don't have enough, right? Maybe it kind of reminds us that we need to put our eyes back where they should have been in the first place. That maybe we need to continue recognizing what's coming up. What, what the situation that the Lord's about to put us in. And we need to start talking about it with him, right? We need to start talking about it with him early. Because I guarantee you that God's prepared for it. God is prepared for your trial. He is prepared for your tribulation. He has the strength already for that. Are we talking to him and asking him for that strength way before this time gets here? Are we talking to him and sitting down and saying, you know what, I know what's coming up. I've got family issues coming up. I've got to go to the Christmas event and my sister-in-law is going to be there. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know if anyone has a sister-in-law like that. I'm not saying I do. I'm not saying I don't. <laughs> but doesn't this tell us that we need to be laser-focused on Jesus? We've got strength. We've got strength in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We have comfort in the name of Jesus. Amen? There is a comfort for our weaknesses. There is a strength that comes 
from God and only God. Ladies and gentlemen, this world is not going to provide the strength that we need to get through the trials. It will provide you something. But what it's providing you is very selfish. It is very worldly. It is very prideful. It is on somebody else's agenda. It is not on God's agenda. Only God provides the comfort needed to get through our trials. But the world says again, God won't give you more than you can handle. And church, I hope we say back to this world, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that God has the strength to help me get through the troubles that I can't manage on my own. That's what the Bible says. If you're here today and there's that situation in your life that you know right now is just burdensome. It's, it's one of those situations that you don't exactly know how to get through because you haven't been through it before and you haven't solved this problem before. I would ask, are your eyes on Jesus this morning? I would ask, are we looking for the answers in the right place? I'd ask with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning that as we, as we just think about those in our lives and those difficulties that we're struggling with right now, I would pray that, I would pray that we would all take the time to remember exactly where our strength comes from, to remember exactly who our strength comes from, and to remember that God is there and that God not only has the strength for us, has had it planned for us, He wants to give it to us. But if we're going to the world for answers, we're going to get worldly answers and worldly direction. And you know where that's going to lead us? It's going to lead us to a worldly result. And worldly results are full of shame. And they're full of heartbreak. And they're full of, of hurt. The world does not care about your soul. Only God cares about your soul. The one who created you. The one who knows you. The one who knows exactly how you tick. Because... He set that clock. He knows. Why are we going somewhere else? There are things that you can't handle. There are things that we can't handle. And I want to tell you something. It's okay to not know how to handle everything in life but you have a paraclete, you have a comforter, you have a Lord and Savior who is there to help us through. Are we reaching out? Lord, I pray that you put your hand over our congregation this morning and you see hearts that are hurting and you see people who are, who, 
who need you so much, Lord. I pray that you'll turn our eyes back towards you so that you are our focus. And our actions are done through the lens of Christ and our thoughts are thought through the lens of Christ and that everything we do is for you. And we find our answers in scripture and in prayer. Lord, we're not always strong, but we come to you for your strength and our weakness. And we come to you because, because you care and you love us. And we know that you're not going to turn us away. This world is hard, but you and your yoke are easy. Lord, I ask you to bless this congregation this morning. I ask you to reach out to those who are not here with us this morning. Our brothers and sisters who we haven't had a chance to see in, in maybe a couple of weeks. Lord, those who are suffering from health problems, Lord, and family issues. Lord, reach out and touch them and let them know there's a church here who loves them and desperately wants to be with them again. Lord, we ask that you put your hand on Paris and you touch members who don't know their members lord find a seat in every church for everyone in this in this city lord to turn the eyes of this community back to you for comfort in our weaknesses and for the strength that only you can provide lord bless us as we worship i'll be up front if you'd like to pray. Lord, we pray all of this in your name. Amen.